So we're talking about the resurrection life of Christ. We're talking about Sunday. I love that the sun rises every single day. It's just a reminder to me. It's a beautiful picture. I believe everything that God put into place, I believe that nature declares and speaks about the gospel. It always has. This is a beautiful, beautiful, the gospel means good news. Every single morning as I wake up, whatever, and just have that wonderful knowledge that the sun is rising just enables me to understand that there is always a Sunday after a Friday. Friday is a, is a real kind of shaking wake-up call to us as believers to understand what the price that God paid. But Sunday is just an amazing day. And I, I want to speak about Sunday today. I want to speak about Sunday in our lives. I want to speak about what that means. Um, but I want us to understand that as the sun rises every single day, may it be a promise in your heart that the sun, the sun, rose again and over your and my life. And we have the privilege of being able to declare that to others who don't know, who sit every single day watching the sunrise, who go through life just in a mediocrity kind of, uh, oh, the, the grind, when life is so wonderful. Friends, I am more excited today because life is so wonderful, not because it keeps feeding me good things, but because He is good. I will not let life dictate who I am and what I do. I will let him dictate because of what he did. Amen. Amen. So it doesn't matter what life throws at you. I understand that there's tough things that get thrown our way. But that's not to dictate our lives, who we are. I'm not going to let somebody else's position dictate my position. Somebody else had a bad morning. And they didn't have their coffee and they're angry and they treat me badly. Doesn't mean now I have to have a bad day. Right? Amen. So let's just quickly uh, unpack. Uh, I don't want to go through Friday a lot, but I just want to say that, that we understand what Jesus did for us in the gospel in two kind of aspects. We, we, we talked about the cross. We talked about Friday. We talked about that Christ had to come and that he died. Uh, let's just say it like this for now, that he died for our sin. And uh, he had to die for our sin. But that's not the only thing that Christ did on the cross. The cross isn't just a symbol of us being forgiven. If it was just a symbol for us being forgiven, friends, whatever you are journeying, whatever you're going through in life, if, if you go out today and you trip up and you mess up and you, and you fail and you do something you shouldn't have done, you can come before this altar, you can come on a Sunday and you can kneel down and you can cry out and you can say, God, I'm so sorry, um, I, I, I've messed up again. I just, I feel so terrible. And, uh, and, 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 but I thank you that I'm forgiven. And you can go out and you can do the same thing again. And you can come back and you can just say, I'm so sorry, Lord. And I'm just, I, I know I'm just, I'm nothing. I'm a worm, really. I'm, I'm, that I did this thing again. And you can just, and you will constantly be in that state even though you are forgiven. But Sunday, come because, Sunday came because there is something more that Christ did. There's something that changes according to this picture. Because we are no longer sinners. 
When Paul's addressing the Colossians, he addresses them as saints. There was something else that Christ did at the cross than just forgiven. He didn't just die for something. He died to restore something. Amen. I've shared this before. I'll share it very quickly again. None of you here, if you go out there and you find this nice pair of jeans uh, for uh, 200 rand, you don't go up to the counter and you say, here, have 400. If any of you have ever done that, come and see me afterwards. You pay the price, friends, because the price is what you feel that thing is worth. In fact, more than that, we haggle even the price if we can because we want bargains. But friends, we know the price. Nobody pays a, a huge price for something that's not worth it. Friends, if you and I were just sinners, no, God would not have paid, would not have sent his son just because we are worthless sinners. From the very beginning, he created us and he gave us a purpose. And from the very beginning, he knows who we are. Which is why every single day and all the time when he looks at you and I, he doesn't look at you and I in relation to what we've done. He looks at you and I in relation to what his son has done. Every single time when he looks at you and I, he looks at you and I according to our purpose and according to who we are in Christ, not according to who we are in terms of what we've walked. We've got to understand that because he paid a price, yeah, a very important price, which the church is not understanding. He paid a price for lost sons and daughters. They were made in his image. They were created for a purpose. They were made to who he was. What was God? God was love. They were made to be loved. They were made to be his hands and feet. They were made to express love in this earth. That's what we were made to as the people of God. But we sinned, and because of sin, he had to come and die, friends. But he died, and he paid the ultimate price. Heaven did not give up the most valuable thing God did not give up his son, his most valuable uh, family member, for somebody who was worthless. If you, you and I can understand our worth, you can understand that Christ gave everything because he wants to restore our worth back, our value back, who we are. Sunday is a beautiful picture and a declaration, friends, that, the, that it was more than just sin, friends, it was to restore us back to who we are. Christ rose again so that we could rise, so that we could be dead, but be raised again into a new and living way, a living way of being his children. Amen. Amen. Of being who he always desired us to be, to express love. To be lovers of God, to be lovers of others, to be love itself, personified in this earth, amen. So when we come to resurrection life, friends, it is sad that a lot of the church, friends, have unfortunately taken on the gospel, friends, more as a bless me thing. The gospel was never about you and I. The gospel is about us being made in the image of God and being restored back to who our God is. The gospel, friends, is about being more like Jesus. And Jesus, friends, is not about himself. Love never seeks its own. The gospel is about his great name and it's about others. Woo! Wow. 
Friends, we don't come to church to see how we can get blessed. Friends, that's why, unfortunately, over history, when the, when the gospel and salvation was turned into a prayer to get to heaven, as soon as it was turned into a prayer to get to heaven, friends, it became about us. And it was never about us, and it was never just a prayer, friends. It was about a life being transformed. It was about being born again. Do you even understand what that means to be born again? Have you ever seen a child born? Something that you've never seen that's been developing and it's been in the womb there and it's just been, and you don't know what it looks like and what it, it's just completely new to you and then it comes out and it's born. This fresh, this new thing. It's new thing, new, new person. Just, it comes out and sometimes everyone goes, oh precious, you look so gorgeous and most children are ugly. But, but the parents love them and they just say, wow, you look so beautiful. Oh, look at my child. Look, it just looks like Tom Cruise, you know. I'm going, no, it looks like something that's been sucked through. But you smile. Ooh. And it's so nice. And they just, they come out. And then they grow and they develop. And it's so wonderful. And Jesus says, you must be born again. Transformed. Trans, thoroughly changed form. Not born again, because Nicodemus tried to ask that question of Jesus, John chapter 3, where he said, no, you can't go back into your mother's womb and all of that's being born of the flesh, but I'm talking about being born of the spirit. You are transformed, you are born again, you become a completely new creature in Christ. Everything has changed, you are now new. That's the finished work of the cross, friends. Oh, we know that, Grant, Really? Because this transformed life thinks, acts, operates completely differently. And there's one key factor which I want to say now and then unpack it a little bit this morning. What I want to say, what I wanted to preach on title of the sermon, freedom from self-consciousness. This transformed life. Jesus became the first fruits. He was the example of what a transformed life looks like. It's a life that's perfect in God. It's a life that has the presence and power of God operating inside of it. It's a life that expresses love. It's the first fruits of the life that we are all supposed to be like. And I understand when you're born again and you're born and then you have to grow and you have to develop that, you slowly begin to look more like him. But that should be our journey, friends. Our journey should not be one of just forgiven, but our journey should be one of forgiven and beginning to look more and more like Jesus. Amen. The fallacy or the heresy that people go like, well, it's all, Jesus done it all, it's grace, whatever, I don't have to do anything. So if I do fall, I do mess up his love and his grace and his blood just covers me, friends, is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ tells me I'm forgiven and he's redeemed me completely for a purpose. To be more like him. Amen? In, in uh, Romans chapter four, let's read the scripture so that it's, the meeting's legal. Romans chapter four, let me read you that quickly. Romans chapter four. Acts, Romans, verse 20, even if we read from verse 21, but the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses 
and raised for our justification. He was delivered up. That means Friday he was for our trespasses. He died on the cross for our trespasses, take care of our guilt, our shame, our condemnation, everything. He died for that, friends, for all our trespasses. And we were renewed, made new, now put on a whole new garment, a new person, made in the righteousness of God. We were now, he was raised on a Sunday for our justification, just as if we had never sinned. Now I'm a new creature in Christ, just as if I've never sinned, I'm perfect. And because I'm perfect, just as I've ne never sinned, get the picture, friends, he nailed uh, all our transgressions. The Bible says he nailed them. All the record, he nailed them to the cross. I know we don't like that picture, but he nailed them through the hands of Jesus on the cross. Every one of our transgressions, every single one of our sins, friends, he nailed them there. So that now, friends, I am now the righteousness of God, I'm holy, I'm just as if Jesus was standing in front of God. Every single one of us who are born again, when God looks at us, it looks, we look just like Jesus. And because we look like Jesus, friends, we're now holy. Uh, we, as the Bible says we are holy, we are blameless, we were above reproach. Colossians chapter one, go read it. And now because of that, friends, he comes and he lives inside of us. And he dwells inside of us now. And because he dwells inside of us now, we have been made completely new and renewed to be able to carry the presence and the power of God. Isn't that amazing? That's wonderful. Friends, yet, unfortunately, people come and they get born again because they think that by asking God or speaking to God or saying a prayer, friends, gets them a ticket to heaven. They think now they can, they, that by coming to church, friends, now we've got the ticket to heaven, so our, our future is secure. Now all we want to do is get blessed and help our life on this earth while we're waiting for the resurrection bus to arrive. Help us in this life on, the, on this earth. But when you understand when you've been transformed, friends, and you know that this gospel is not about you, it's about others, it's about God on, in this world. I'm not waiting for anything, friends. It doesn't matter. I'm living an eternal life right now. I'm operating in the power and the presence of God right now. One day Jesus will come back. He was not gonna come back again to try and fix up something. He's gonna come back triumphantly to take us to his glorious, amen? But the truth of the matter is, friends, now I don't have to, I'm not looking for, now do we get blessed? Please just hear me out here. Of course we get blessed. Why do we get blessed as the people of God? Because that's God's nature, it's God's nature to bless us. That's wonderful, friends. But I'm not sitting at some bus stop waiting to be blessed. I am blessed already. I have Christ within me. I'm wanting to live out what God has done for me. Friends, there's a key component in all of this. And the Bible says, Christ in us, the hope of glory. What's glory? It's the manifest presence, character, attributes, and nature of God. Christ in us is the hope of the world seeing God manifest. Christ in us. The key component there, friends, is Christ in us. Not us, Christ in us. So when Jesus came, it was for us self-consciousness to die. Amen. For us no longer to be aware of me because I have to die. If any man would come after me. That's why the gospel is a come after me gospel. That's why when we went to, the, to the, the fisherman in the boat, he didn't say, fisherman, just hold off wondering a moment. Just wanna say something to you. I'm Jesus, and if you'll believe in me, now if you'll lift up your hands and you'll say a prayer, then you'll be secure and you can carry on fishing. 
He says, follow me. If anyone will come after me, it's a follow me gospel. It's not just a forgiven gospel, it's a follow me gospel. It's because I'm forgiven, I'm so gloriously excited and, and, and so powerfully, uh, wonderfully blessed in my life that I just, I want to follow him. I want to follow him because he's done everything for me. He is everything to me. My life no longer is, has meaning without him. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who's now living inside of me. Christ living inside of me. What's the point? The point is it's all about Christ. Living inside of me, me has gone back seats now. No, you don't know, you don't understand. There's far too many people in the church that still have rights. They still have opinions. And they think they mean something, they mean nothing. Only his opinion means anything, friends. Whatever he says, it's the truth. And the Bible says truth will set you free. Amen. Not ministry, not prayer, truth will set you free. So you can sit in your little house and you can be depressed and you can be sad about woe is life and what it's done to me, friends, or you can change the way you think and you can get born again. And you can stand here in the revelation, the reality of what Christ has done for you and that nobody's gonna dictate my disposition. But you don't know, Grant, my boss, he's a wally. I don't care, he's not Lord. Jesus is Lord, I'm not gonna let him change my disposition. Let him rather do whatever he wants to do. That's his to do with his disposition. My disposition is under the surrender of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Amen, and what he's done in my life. It's about him. Amen. Whew, maybe I should get to the note. Drink some water. Am I spitting? Mm. Can I throw something out now because I can and just, I'll leave it there hanging. Matthew 25 is a wonderful scripture. It's about sheep and goats. Just by the way, I only found out the other day, I think it was Dave was telling us, found out the other day that over the years and years since Jesus' day and whatever, you've, you've had interbreeding and stuff going and happening and now when you look at a sheep and a goat, you can clearly see who's, what's a sheep and what's a goat, right? But in those days, a sheep and a goat is quite similar. Interesting. So it's not so easy to separate them out. But anyway, that's not more, it's an interesting fact. And, in Matthew 25, Jesus is talking about the final judgment and he separates out the sheep and the goats. And guess what? He goes to the sheep and he says, well, enter into your rest. And guys, I love you. You're so amazing. You're so wonderful, whatever. You gave me, you clothed me, you fed me. You, 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 when I needed to drink, you gave it to me and, and uh, you went to visit me in prison and all these kinds of wonderful things. And then they're going like, well, how do we do that? If you did that to the least, Jesus says you did that to the least of me, the least of them, you did it to me. Don't lose the point of the story, friends. There was a group of people that were being loved and were giving, sharing, and there was a whole group of people that did nothing. He didn't say, well done, you group of people, you all said the prayer and lifted your hand and came to the front in church, well done. You guys, you did not lift your hand, you did not say the prayer and you did not come to the front in church. You guys, well done, you attended church, and every single Sunday, well done, you can now enter. You guys, you didn't come to church, so no, sorry, you can't enter. 
One, he said, what did you do? See, it's an expression of what you believe. The challenge in the church is we're still not, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. There's the problem, right there, himself. Friends, if you wanna come after God, you've got to deny yourself. Self has to die. It has to die. Friday has to come to self in order for you to have resurrection life of Sunday inside of you. I'm not gonna have time to unpack this. But man, if we as a church could catch this, the reason we have, when we have self-consciousness, friends, it's the reason why we sin. When Jesus came to take away self-consciousness, that must die so that we can have freedom, friends. The truth sets you free from self-consciousness. Where now, where all we are is Christ-conscious. I'm dead and now it's all about Christ. What Christ did for me when I wake up in the morning, I'm not waking up to not sin, friends. How many know that Jesus is not up there going, you guys need to shape up. I'm not standing here this morning saying, shape up, get your act together. Come on, guys, good all connect together. I'm not here doing that, friends, because neither is God doing that. I'm saying I'm crying out to the church and saying, get understanding. Get understanding of who you are. It's the truth that will set you free. You've got to know truth. No, you don't have to come up and get hands laid on. I've got many hands laid on, you can see. Friends, most of them didn't do anything. Friends, it was when I got a revelation of the truth. When the truth came into my life, when I began to eat, we became the bread of life. Then I realized all this truth that now sets me free. I stopped being self-conscious. And yes, there are moments, friends, but all I've got to do is wake up and go, well, that's not really who I am. That's not me. That's why it's so important we know what our, who our identity, who we are in Christ. It's why we go and gather together as the people of God on a Sunday, friends. Because if we don't, friends, we can believe anything. And the last days, there's gonna be winds of doctrine. You're gonna listen to TV and, and if there's still radio, people that listen to radio and, and, uh, and all other kinds of things, listening to all these wonderful things going, woo, isn't this so wonderful? Woo, let's drift over here and let's drift over there. Well, we come to church to hear truth because truth is like an anchor for my soul. It's my hope, friends. It's what I put all my whole trust in is if he says it, I believe it and I know that it will bear forth fruit. Maybe I'll say, say it like this. Do you know that God is not intimidated or afraid of sin? And God never opposes a sinner. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, and if you're self-conscious, you're sin-conscious. My Bible tells me that God opposes The proud, wow, born again believers, if they 
of self-conscious. Friends, they are proud because Jesus came for you to die. And if you're self-conscious, he opposes you. I don't care how many times you pray. My Bible tells me he will oppose the proud. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, James chapter 4, verse 6, 7. He opposes the proud. And God himself will resist you. He, he resists arrogance and pride. He does not resist sin. But the church is spending their whole life trying to fix their, get their act together and sort themselves out. And like, I'm so impressive because I don't really sin, friends. Friends, the enemy's got you focusing on yourself. Focus on Jesus and be Christ conscious and understand that he's done everything and he is my all and I live for him, friends, and then I humble myself. My opinion and my everything means naught. He means everything to me. Friends, and then he begins to flow. See, when we surrender to God, when we yield, when we, when we, we lay down self and we let self-consciousness die, friends, the kingdom of God begins to flow. Let me give you a classic example in the life of the church. Let me talk about healing. When you get people up, and man, when you go out on the, on the, on the uh, mission field, you'll see that this is a reality. You get a whole bunch of people up there and you ask now, pray for them to be healed. So you go, you lay hands on them. How many of you have ever had this? How many of you have ever had, when you go up to a person now and you lay hands and you're gonna pray for them, suddenly the thoughts come into your head where you start thinking about what you're praying. You're wondering now when I'm praying, going, I wonder if I'm praying right, and how am I praying? What are the words that I'm saying? And you've, you've now concentrated more on what you're saying. And then you start to think, if they don't get healed, it's probably something that I didn't do right. I think I didn't pray right. I didn't do it the way I was right. I should have turned my elbow left and then put my, head, my hand right at this angle. Whatever. It's probably something so... We're so self-conscious, friends. We, we concentrate, uh, oh, this, I didn't do it right. I'll tell you what's worse than that. What's worse than that is when they do get healed thinking that you did something right. Friends, it's not about what you did right, it's what Jesus did right. Friends, we should outlaw longer than six second prayers. When you have a healing line, it should be six seconds because you can't go wrong in six seconds. You can't even have time to actually think about yourself in six seconds. Simply just say in the name of Jesus, be healed. Because at the end of the day, friends, it doesn't count for how fancy or how wonderful my, my prayer is and what I do right or, or do wrong, friends. It's all about what he did wrong. The whole point of the exercise, friends, is that the enemy wants to get me thinking about what? Myself. Instead of, friends, the reason why I lay hands on is because of what I believe and because I love the person. Amen. We are called to be loved. My whole point is I want this person to get healed because I love them and I believe that Jesus Christ died for them and for their sin. Amen. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 2, haven't got time to go there. If you have a look there, before it says, by Jesus' stripes we are healed, it tells you the reason why we are healed. It's because of the forgiveness of sins. See, when you understand that, you understand healing, you understand the price that he paid on the cross. My job is simply to release faith and love. Galatians chapter five, verse six is nothing else counts except faith working through love. Amen. 
That's what the point is, friends. The exercise, friends, is also it's about self-consciousness again. We as believers, we've got to kill that sucker every single time he wants to raise his head. Jesus died on the cross so that we could be free from self-consciousness. Amen. What is this song? See, he died to save us from ourselves. And then we sit there and they go, wow, it's heavy to be a Christian. What did you got to give up? Friends, all you're giving up is a lie. You're giving up who you are not. And our whole life, friends, we have been trained with a lie, and God just wants you to believe truth. How many know, as you grow up as a child, you can have a little child. We've got the twins, the most glorious, beautiful, cuddly, bunny, amazing twins. But I can tell you now, Ben and Sal have not sat down and said, right, twins, now, pull this face. That means angry. I'm gonna tell you now how you must be angry. All you gotta do with the twins is just put a, a toy equidistant between the two of them and just wait. And they are looking at each other and then marks get set, go. And they run for it and whoever's got the stronger grip gets it, whatever, and then hits the other one on the head. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, boom, comes angry. Right? We don't have to train a little child. It's automatically inside of them, friends. These are emotions that have automatically trained us in life. We have been trained in the wrong school. We've been trained by the enemy himself to think and to act and to operate. And we thought those are all God because, hey, God gave us feelings. Not those feelings. They came from a self-centered foundation. The root of all of that is self, friends. My emotions, think about your emotions and your feeling. I'm so happy. Why are you happy? You're happy because something good happened to you. I'm sad. Why are you sad? Because something bad happened to you. I'm depressed because life is not turning out the way you wanted it to. We're far too much in the church. We are giving license to people to be discouraged. It's wrong. It's not biblical. And that's in the Bible. It's dissing courage. And God came and he gave us courage. Because I mustn't be led by these emotions because I am, I am free from self-consciousness. Self died and now I'm living to Christ and Christ alone. Now when I come to church, it's about him. Friends, why do you read your Bible? Well, I didn't read my Bible today. That's why things are going not so well. I did read it. Whew. Tell you what, I was quoting the word. Ooh, powerful. Oh, whew, you know what? I tell you what, it was so powerful today. I had half an hour of intercession this morning. I drove up to Checkers and I just said, in the name of Jesus, somebody move your car. And boom, guy moved out and I was parked right in front of Checkers. Parking just for me, power of God. Woo, tell you, I'm on fire. 
First, lenses. Lenses through which we see the gospel. Lenses which we live life and operate, friends. Wrong lenses. Because Christ died for us and we have resurrection Sunday because now he has been made alive to me. And I'm called to be him. Oh, no, but you don't understand. And you don't know what this person did to me. That person did to you. No, I know what Jesus did for me. And I'm not going to act and react like that. Friends, the reason why I open the Bible and I read it is to know him. I want to know him. I'm not reading the Bible so I can quote the scripture so I can get that new car. I'm not reading the Bible so that I can get parking right. I don't have to walk too far. I'm not reading the Bible because, hey, listen, it tells me there that all the blessings are mine. So right now, that person that's sitting over there, you're not getting the promotion. I am getting the promotion in Jesus' name. I'm not reading my Bible because, you know, you have no idea what my boss is like. He's a nightmare. I'm reading my Bible because I'm going to pray for him. Probably reading too much Old Testament. How about we read New Testament? How about we read about the love of God? How about we read about that it's, my heart breaks for him because he doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know that he is a lost son and daughter and that he need, desperately needs Jesus. And I've got Jesus. And I want to be Jesus wherever I go. That's not a doormat, friends. That's Christ-likeness. Well, I can show mercy and grace and love wherever I go. Oh, he's going to have to land. Oh. Friends, if I had unpacked this morning, just to help you understand what I'm trying to tell you, is that our Savior and our King, when He came to this earth, friends, it wasn't that John the Baptist was busy baptizing people in the water and baptizing them, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hi, I am Jesus. I have come from above. Friends, he actually was put in a woman's womb, just like you and me. And he had to grow and develop there and he was birthed into this world through how everyone else is birthed, through a birth canal. And he had to grow up and go through. Man, you've got to understand something. Why would God go to all those lengths? It's just, it's the gospel. It's just a quick thing. It's just, come on, the guys just need to be redeemed. Let's just get the matter sorted out. He came and he had to actually get birthed and go through all as a man. One Timothy two. Let me just read it because I can. One Timothy chapter two. It says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. Do you know right now, seated at the right hand of God is the man, Christ Jesus. He's a man. Did you know Luke chapter 24, I think it's around about verse 39, you can go check it out. He just comes into the room, disciples are all there, must have seen a ghost. 
Jesus says, no, come feel, come and touch me. Woo, still a bit scared. I love that. It says, they're marveling and there's like joy, but they still disbelieve. It's kind of like, <laughs> Jesus says, touch, feel my body. This is not a disembodied spirit. This is me. He says, you guys still don't believe? Here, give me some fish. Let me eat some fish. That same body, friends, the resurrection body is different to ours. It's no longer subject to decay. Do we understand this? That body, so resurrection body, just whoop into the room. So this was a resurrection body, but it was flesh. You could feel it. It was a body. It was physically. Jesus was still here. You could still eat fish. That Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God. The same Jesus. The man Christ Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. Why, friends? Because he had to pay a price as a man. So that you and I could be transformed to be just like him as a man. That as a man, I can live in this life. As a man, I don't have to let life dictate to me and tell me and, and, and shape me and shape my identity, friends. As a man, I can operate in the power and the presence of God and, and healing and, and delivering and setting people free. As a man, I can do all of this. Because I'm no longer self-conscious. The minute I begin to look at myself, friends, I move out of the transformed life and I moved into uh, the slave mentality. I'm no longer a slave. We have to study and realize 1 John chapter 1, it's the most powerful uh, a few verses going into chapter two. It's an illustration about that we were, we, that he took care of our sin and we're no longer, even though it's not saying that we can stand and say, oh, well, we just always sin, so blase, we just sin. Friends, the reason why we do that because we're a slave. When you're a son, friends, and you realize your identity, you're free from that mentality. A good tree bears good fruit. If you don't believe you're a good tree, friends, you're never gonna bear good fruit. But if you believe you're a good tree, it'll bear forth good fruit. I promise you there's no apple tree here you know, popping out an apple to prove to you it's an apple tree. An apple tree pops out apples because it is an apple tree. As Christians, friends, we're not trying to prove anything. Friends, the problem with proving anything, friends, is that we're pandering to unbelief. And we are not called to pander to unbelief. I have no time for unbelief. I chatted to people about what was happening in Botswana and they said, oh, I don't believe you. You need to show proof. So I said, I could bring you the x-rays and you would still tell me that's not his x-rays. That's probably somebody else's x-rays. Because you just exhaust yourself trying to prove. Unbelief, friends, is a problem in the church. And that's not my problem. What we're called to do is be believers. So we take the truth and we believe the truth. And if you will know the truth, the truth will set you free. Live free. Live free from a self-consciousness. Amen. Live Christ-conscious. Live believing in Him. Live knowing that everything is about Him and that whatever I do, it's because of Him. Amen. As a church, let's live free. I've landed. If it sounds funny out of Jesus' mouth, it should sound funny out of your mouth. If it looks funny, if Jesus was doing it, then it should look funny at you doing it. Because love actually looks like something. It looks like Jesus. 
You know, Jesus, he fed a whole bunch of people. They were hungry, and he just fed them, just multiplication of food. And they followed him all around the lake, and they came to him. And, and then they, he said to them, he said, you guys are only following me because of the food that you got. A whole bunch of people, not really interested in Jesus, actually only interested in the food. And then he went to the cross, and he said, as he was about to die on the cross, he stopped, and he said, I remember you, Oaks. You only came for the food. Stick you, I'm getting off the cross. <laughs> Friends love, it never fails. People spat at him. They told him a whole bunch of stuff. They only came for the food and for the miracles, only what they could get. Man, that's why I sit and I say I love the church. Because Jesus loves the church. And the church is made up of a whole bunch of different people. Some arrogant, some sitting there for what they can get. Some thinking they're more important than others. But love, love never fails. Love says, you know what? All of you are gold. Gold. And I'm not going to have a bad day if you don't like that. Can you imagine a people that they cannot be influenced other than by Christ? Wow, that is called the church. You go, but my circumstances, you don't know. I'm battling whatever and that I've got to live life. You're not living where I am at whatever. I'm battling to put food on the table. So you're making life speak louder than the word of God. You're making life shape you you're taking on the identity of the circumstance or the situation that you are facing rather than the identity of your, who you are in Christ. You see, that never changes of who I am in Christ. So life comes my way and I express life to the circumstance and to the situation rather than the situation trying to speak death to me. Amen? That's because we have resurrection life inside of us. We have Jesus inside of us. Sunday isn't a glorious thing where we just go, whoa, thank you, Lord, all that you did. So all the blessings are yes, and now amen in God. Can I read, uh, uh, what time is it? I'm going to read one more scripture because it just comes to mind. Can I read this? Maybe you've always read this scripture and you've never understood it. Let me just uh, say it quickly and, and unpack it. In 2 Peter chapter 1, have you read this most amazing Scripture says, Simon Peter, servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? They have obtained a faith uh, like theirs. Every single body obtains the same faith. It's by the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Woo. Man, if you had to understand that scripture very quickly and realize what God was saying, he said he gave, gave you great and wonderful promises. Great and wonderful promises for what, church? So that you could partake of his divine nature so that you could escape from all the lusts and the selfishness of the world. That lust there has got nothing to do with sexual. 
It's got to do with selfishness. We escape all the selfishness of this world because he's given us great and wonderful promises that enable us to be partakers of his divine nature. Woo! Oh, no, hold on a minute. That doesn't sound very much like it's going to benefit me. Oh, boy, maybe I should relook at the gospel. Maybe the gospel is about a whole bunch of promises that would benefit the divine nature of God being expressed in me living in who I'm called to be. Ooh. Seek first the kingdom of God and the rest will be added. Oh, I think I've heard that. Just might be in the Bible. Just maybe his divine life, his divine promises have been given to me so that I can operate in his divine nature and escape the selfishness of this world. Just maybe this gospel is not about me. Maybe this gospel is all about him. Maybe if I live this gospel for me, I will live in valley in, in mountain and valley experiences, up and down, and maybe the gospel was never about up and down. Maybe if I live totally for him, I live in one direction, and that's upward, baby. Amen. I'm going from glory to glory. Amen. I'm being transformed. Woo. Shall we stand?